This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Bring it on, bring it on. Touchdown, Saban Collins. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. So you guys are well aware that if this broadcast studio was one of the position group's meeting rooms, that somebody would be getting fined right now. Why is that? There's no Christmas tree. There's no holiday decorations whatsoever. There's nothing. You're right. You'd probably be handing out the fines. There's nothing that says decorations or the The holiday season, tis the season, nothing in here. Okay. Along those lines, I realize every year and then it comes back and it hits me hard in the face. I am, I might be the worst gift wrapper of all time. I, I like, I try and do it and I know what I'm supposed to do. And it, it looks like, it looks like it, was, it looks like my gifts were in a car accident every time. Mm. Uh, it's worth the extra three or $4 per gift just to have it professionally wrapped. Is no. it not, Darren? What? Three to four dollars per gift? Well, that's why I just, I just ordered a gift online. It was three dollars to have it wrapped and then sent. No. Just open up YouTube and look how to wrap a gift. First of all, I don't, I don't have that. I didn't have that option with these. These are all like. So usually it's not wrapping. It's just I mean, click, I, click wrapping. You know, click on the bubble and see, then boom, I'm not, it's I'm done. I'm not good. My mom is really good at wrapping gifts, and all I learned from her is that the fewer pieces of tape you use, the better. She says you should not need more than two pieces of oh, tape. Oh, then I suck. I will say that I but feel bad. But if you bad. just have more tape, just put a bow on it. I feel bad for my wife because I get her to do everything that isn't her present. Because I, I don't want her to see what I got her. So now the only horrible wrapped gifts under the tree are for her. What'd you get her? I won't tell her. No, it's all a big secret. See, Craig Grealu bought me a couple extra days because I like to take it down to the fourth quarter. I really work my best on deadline, running the no huddle at the very end. Okay, game-winning drives before the holiday deadline. And uh, Craig Grealu said, well, why don't you just get your wife something in Chicago? You guys used to live there some 20 years ago. I'm like, that's great. Why don't you just bring her back some popcorn? That buys me another 24 to 36 hours, right? Just bring it back on the plane. You could just pick up, like, a Portillo's hot dog or Luminaldi's deep dish pizza here and tell her it's from Chicago. No, that's right. Anyway, here's how it works with the rookies, okay? Um, For example, on the Big Red Rage, Will Hernandez said Paris Johnson Jr. got fined twice in the O-line room. Number one, he was late putting up the tree. Number two, how dare he put up a tree, and according to Will, quote, there's no topper. There was no angel, there was no star, there was nothing atop the tree, which was deemed an offense and finable. And uh, we we came to learn over the course of the Big Red Rage that Will Hernandez is pretty much paying off his holiday credit card off the backs of the rookies and the fines he's been imposing uh, because it's been pretty onerous at times. And then did you see the exchange last week between Buda Baker, Antonio Hamilton, and the three rookies in the DB room tasking them to put up a tree by the next morning by 6 a.m. before the first meeting. Where would I have seen this? Oh, it was going on right when the media was there. Um, Antonio Hamilton and Buda Baker were giving uh, Starling Thomas, Garrett Williams, and Keetrell Clark a hard time. Where's the tree? 
better be up by 6 a.m. tomorrow before the first meeting. And then when I asked for an assessment the next day, they said, yeah, the tree was up, but uh, I'm quoting them now, the veterans, they said, the tree has no spirit. Don't know what that means exactly, but uh, apparently the, um, the rookie's underwhelmed in the DB room. I don't like Darren getting the idea that he can walk around imposing fines on his colleagues. See, so, by the way, I've been stripped of all decorating duties at Casa Calvisi. I've so been, you, uh, you I've been told I don't have a good eye for where to put the ornaments. I'm not judging. I'm just trying to keep up. You don't. <laughs> you don't help with the Thanksgiving meal. Oh no! You don't decorate for Christmas. Wait, wait a minute. She's keeping score. You don't score? wrap the gifts for Christmas. A, well, the gifts are wrapped. It's better if I outsource it. Man's okay. got to know his I'm, own I'm limitations. I'm not judging. I'm just trying to keep track of everything. You have to know your, your own limitations. Right. I, think you're, I you know? think you're on track there, Danny. Uh, you know. I mean, if the gift is Darren wrapped. Darren is at least making brunch on Thanksgiving and trying to wrap his gifts. I mean, let me ask not you this competition. much. If the gift is wrapped, if it's covered in wrapping paper, doesn't that qualify? Yes. Okay. Uh, one more question before we get too far into the football. I mean, are we judging the precision if, in wrapping? No, I would rather see the effort. If it's a really large gift... Did like, you get her a car? The, no, I didn't get her a car. Those oh. are stupid commercials. Nobody does that. Um, <laughs> a car. If, if it's a really large object, do you wrap it? Yes, I think that's part of the fun. Unless it comes in a box. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's oh, a then box. yeah, wrap the box. But like, it's a really heavy, gigantic box. That's more fun if you have to really rip the wrapping paper. Yeah, but how do you... I, I can't wrap a box so, this big. How do I wrap a box that big? Then you know what? You just slap a bow on it. There's a lot more tape involved there, Danny. <laughs> just slap a bow on it and call it a day. All right. Well, making okay. the segue. I just, I just needed to get that out there. The Cardinals opened a can <laughs> on the Niners' run defense. Didn't get the win. Wow. Went right positive, right out of the box. Just right out of the gate. Thought I'd throw that in there because, you know, Fred Warner looked a little discombobulated after the game, meeting the media. He had a smile on his face for a little while, talking about the W, and then they brought up the fact Niners gave up 234 yards rushing, what, nearly eight yards of carry. And, uh, yeah, he was at a loss for words and explanation how exactly that happened. So I put it to you, Danny Sarek and Darren Urban. You're on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. How do you explain a Cardinals run game that is now number seven overall in the NFL? Well, it's been impressive, especially this week. It wasn't just James Conner. Amari DiMercato looked good. Michael Carter didn't have a ton of yards. I think he finished with maybe 27, but he looked slippery. He was fast. He was twitchy. Fresh legs. Yes. Kyler Murray had 49 rushing yards. It It was a balanced run game, and I think that is important for the longevity of the success of this offense every time Arizona's had success offensively they've run the ball well now it helps that San Francisco was without two of their starting D linemen because of injuries I would assume that running the ball was always part of the game plan but once they realized that 49ers were going to be a little banged up in that area I'm sure it was really emphasized especially when they started to find success doing that yeah you you, you ride that hot hand until it's over in 234 yards. Maybe one of Fred Warner's issues was the fact he lost Amari DiMarcato in the middle of that play maybe. and just didn't do yeah. anything. I, or maybe he didn't have Javon Hargrave and Eric Armstead well, in front true. of him keeping Cardinals old lineman off him. It is interesting to me that as they knock the 49ers off the perch of the number one run defense, now they play the number one run defense for a second straight yeah. week in the Bears. What are the odds of that? You're right. Bears are number one in the NFL right now in run defense. And it's amazing what one premier pass rusher can do for your front seven, what Montez Sweat has done for the Bears. Their sack numbers have gone through the roof. 
You know, it's um, once upon a time when the Cardinals were in dire need and they got Chandler Jones, right? And he was that guy that offensive coordinators had to account for day one of the of the game plan. So what would, just thinking out What loud, is Chandler Jones doing these days? I'm what, sorry, what? What would a Chandler Jones-esque pass rusher do for this Cardinals defense right now? Because... Everyone talks about, and we'll get into a little bit later, the receivers. Oh, geez, what would Marvin Harrison Jr. look like in a Cardinals uniform? What would he do for the offense? And I'm not, I'm not debating that. I'm not negating that. But what would a premier pass rusher do for this Cardinals defense right now? Give They've them, gone three games in a row without a sack. It would give them a pass rush, Paul. I, and and I, I don't mean to be facetious. The, there hasn't been pressure. It's more than just sacks. The quarterback hits, the pressures aren't there, and not just the way that you need them to, the way that we saw that room put up numbers to start the season. Now, they're obviously playing different teams than they were at the start of the year, and when you put on some, you have more film for opponents to look at, that changes things, right? The wear and tear of a season on your body, it's a whole list of things. They have just been almost non-existent when it comes to making life difficult for the quarterbacks they've been facing. I mean, Brock Purdy was under almost no pressure for most of the game, had another high completion percentage, just felt like that he wasn't under any duress at all during the game. And I understand you don't have that elite pass rusher. You need to be able to get something out of the players you have. And for whatever reason, the last few weeks, it's been three games without a sack. They have not been able to generate anything. What will be fascinating to me is how you approach the pass rush scheming when it comes to Justin Fields because you don't want a situation where you're going all out to go sack him and then he gets around you and then he gains 15 yards on a run and so are they going to mush rush him a little bit more is that going to hurt the potential sacks how how exactly might that play out this week when they play in Chicago and that that's a good point too with San Francisco of how fast they get the ball out you know that it's likely going to Christian McCaffrey. So that's obviously going to affect how many players you're dropping back and the type of pass rush you have. I'm just saying in general, it feels like the last couple of weeks, the quarterbacks have seemed to have a pretty pretty yeah. easy time uh-huh. doing what they needed to do. You know, Kirk Cousins would always do that, right? Every time the Cardinals would play Kirk Cousins, he would get the ball out so quick. You never had any chance of getting to him. A lot of those pass rushers would <laughs> gripe and grouse about, oh, come on, the ball's out so quick. Matthew Stafford has done that to the Cardinals at times. Uh, Brock Purdy. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, to some degree, to listen to what the coaches told the media, that was part of the game plan. We're not going to go all out because the goal, ball's going to be out quick. We're going to rush three or four, drop seven or eight. I get it, but the Cardinals still don't have that that dominant sack guy. What Dennis Gardeck is the leading sack guy, and he has some of the most limited snaps overall in pass, especially in pass rush situations this year. Well, and the other thing about that is, is if you have a premier pass rusher, you can rush three or four, and you still get some yeah. pressure and have all those guys back. That's that's the difference. Because right now, if you are limiting how many you send in, you're really limiting yourself, whereas opposed to if you have that guy, you know maybe maybe he can make some things happen, even if it's three on five or four on five. So the Bears gave up a second round pick in 2024 before the trade deadline for Montez Sweat, and he has six sacks in six games. The defense has really solidified. 
And so, okay, that was a win they for the They gave him a Bears. big contract, too, Paul. They did give him a big contract. You're right. He was in a contract year. So they paid him, and, and gladly, uh, based on what the return on investment so far. Now, as for Justin Fields, I had no idea that he was that big, that he's 6'3", 230. I didn't quite realize he's that big. And your guys talk about it. He will break tackles. And I looked it up. He ran a 4-4-4 at his pro day. So he's a legit 4-4 guy. Uh, big arm, big athleticism. Of course, some of the other quarterback numbers haven't been too kind, and especially in the fourth quarter when you look at how the Bears games have fared, including blowing a 17-7 lead in the fourth quarter against Joe Flacco, who threw for 212 in the fourth quarter this past week, and the Browns pulled out a win uh, somehow, some way, despite playing like their third-string left tackle and their second-string right tackle and a third-string center. They still were able to uh, get a win against the Bears, who, who blew that one. But the Bears on offense have been struggling. Uh, Justin Fields, though, I'm very curious to see what he looks like. And Danny on the sideline, you know, from field level, Justin Fields should be a sight to behold. Yeah, if I can see him through all the rain. <laughs> Is it really in the forecast? You know me. I, I think don't, a little I don't rain. No, I don't. I know you don't. I don't think a lot of rain. Who you're going to be in the in the poo in the booth, nice and dry, Paul? So the the window will be open. He could get sideways rain. Oh. He could get some snow. Poor Paul. No, there's not supposed to be snow. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say something that you didn't want to no, hear? No, it's fine. You know what? This is, is that part the jacket you you're? To... Is that the jacket you're going to wear? By the way, on the sideline. That's... No, no. Oh, no, I've no, heard about no, that. You haven't heard about the jacket yet, Paul? No, the, that's this not is, it. That's oh, not this the isn't even no, no, no. close to all I'm, the jacket I'm, I'm going to be wearing. I'm very much looking forward to seeing the jacket. You know what? Here's I, the. I'm at least honest and upfront about knowing that. I get cold easily, and so when I know it's going to be dark because the sun's going to set early, and I know that it's going to be windy and there might be a little rain, you know what? I'm just going to over-prepare and would rather be warm in a coat than be miserable and cold. I'm hearing she's going to have enough of an outfit that you are going to really have to raise your bar going forward, Paul. <laughs> I see. That's so, every week, So what, I'm getting the sense that this jacket has an aura about it. Does it have its like own, own social media account at this no, point? Like, this what's is, going on? No, no, no. I, <laughs> What is so remarkable about this, the jacket? Well, now I feel like I'm hyping it up. I'll have to maybe post a picture. This and so I don't on. know if this is the best way to describe it. It's definitely not the most appropriate way to describe it on a podcast. To me, as somebody who didn't grow up in the 70s, it gives off like 70s pimp vibes. Like it is a long, like almost to my calves long, thick, white, furry coat. It's got a big collar, big pockets in the front. Like it is... You will be able to notice her down there, yeah. Well, here's the thing: it's it's too big to fit in my suitcase, so you'll see me wear it on the oh, plane yes. when it's 80 degrees in Phoenix as we board the plane. I mean, with a coat like that, you got to walk down Michigan Avenue. <laughs> I mean, that's a big city coat. You got to hit that the is loop. A big city coat. You got to go over to Marshall Fields, Lord and Taylor's. You got to hit give all me the, the itinerary. Pla- you got to hit all the places. Although a lot of those department stores are no longer there in Chicago, but uh, Danny will have to go get some know. dinner on on yeah. Saturday night. So it's good. Okay. Probably not deep dish, but something else. You got to uh, find something. You got to eat. I know. What's, what's got a bigger profile right now, the jacket or Trey McPlay? That's what I want to know. There's my next segue for I you. Think, I think Trey McPlay might have gotten some mixed reviews online, Paul. I like it, though. The, the nickname, not the player. The nickname. Yeah. yeah but well, I the, like it. The player definitely exceeds the nickname. That goes without saying, but uh, it might have made an appearance on easycardinals.com, Trey McPlay. I love it. So, uh, by the way, uh, I did confirm here uh, earlier on the Red Sea Report, I posed the question, of course, Craig Grealou, can't spell Grealou without A-I, uh, had the info already. 
that since week eight, Trey McPlay is number one in tight end receiving yards and our receptions in the number two in receiving yards. So after another 100-yard receiving game, Cardinals went, what, 34 years without a tight end hitting 100 yards receiving in a game, and he's now done it twice in five weeks. Can he get the 278 yards in three games that he needs to get 1,000 yards? Mm. Well, at this rate, definitely. I mean, there's been if receivers are only going to generate 20 receiving yards per game, then yes, because he's the bulk of the passing game there right now. There has been one 1,000-yard season by a tight end in Cardinals history. Seriously? Yeah. Jackie Ew. Smith didn't do it more than once? I don't think so. Oh. Wow. He well, had that one really big year with 1,200 yards. He had some really big years, but... Well, McBride's first reception in Sunday's game was his 57th, which set a franchise record for most receptions by a tight end in a single, single season. It's been impressive what he's done. Can he keep it up, or do defenses now, especially with the receivers not exactly putting a big threat into coverages uh, I mean is he at the point where he's going to get double teamed almost every single passing situation I would I would imagine so because one of the best things about McBride's play is that he is very difficult to bring down on first contact so I would imagine he'll probably start getting double teamed because he's not going down with a single tackler on that first try I I think they're going to he's going to be double teamed but if they continue to run the ball like this I mean you're 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 not going to be able to focus as much on that. And McBride is pretty good with those contested throws yeah. anyway, so I would say bring it on. I mean, look at he's going to get the targets. We know that. Look at the first quarter alone of that 49ers game, right? I mean, he had the 38-yard grab against Fred Warner. Then they put Dre Greenlaw on him, and they actually gave help over the top, the bracket coverage, and that was where he had the deflection to Jeff Swaim because he was getting extra attention. And then later in the game. You had the pick six. You can't tell me that Charvarius Ward, who's a corner, but he was back there sort of watching Kyler's eyes and going, yeah, he's looking for 85 again, and I'm going to jump this route deep. I did watch that again, though. And? And if if Kyler throws that ball as soon as Trey turns around, that's completion. Mm, Gotcha. So that's And Kyler owned it after the game. Yeah, he did. He did own it. It's too bad they didn't win because we probably would have talked about that Jeff Swain play a little bit more where McBride – kind of bobbled the ball behind the defender and Swaim happened to be in the right place at the right time. It was pass interference, Danny. Pass interference. It was pass interference, right? I'm pretty sure. Oh, the, the, they yeah, I think so, down. yeah. They didn't, they didn't accept, accept it, it yeah. right. So the fact Kyler owned that, the fact that Kyler, uh, when talking about the receivers, said, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about it. Yeah, it's got to be better. I have to be better. How much more accountability are we hearing out of the quarterback this season, especially recently in these press conferences? He has not hesitated to evoke himself in taking some of the blame. What I found interesting in his post game about taking the accountability was he seemed to understand that I'm just going to I'm going to take the responsibility and then just cut off my answer. You can take the responsibility and then kind of weave your way around it and and. We're all waiting for as much information as we can get, but he, I think he seemed to understand that if I just say that's on me and leave it at that, you know? It's sort of an easy exit? Is that what you're... Not just an easy exit, but you, you're not going to get yourself in trouble with anything else you say. Right. You but, took the blame like a quarterback does, and you move on. And if you're taking the blame, there's really no need to give further detail and or name I would additional agree names. Now, right? I will say this. I, I can't completely speak on what was supposed to happen or where everybody was supposed to be, but just watching 
the replay, like I said, it did feel like if Kyler gets that ball out sooner, and he had a very clean pocket on that play. That was the other thing I wanted to go back and look at. Was he under pressure? And he really wasn't. I mean, the pass protection has been pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, the times where he has been under pressure, I mean, there, there have been some breakdowns. There's no sure, doubt about sure. it. But there's also times you're like, well, that ball easily could have been out, should have been out a little earlier. And, which leads you back to the whole receiver conundrum. So what is not happening, what needs to happen, is it realistic to think it'll improve significantly over these final three games? All we know is you know, you're not getting very much production out of your receivers at all, especially when you see Hollywood Brown standing on the sideline with a Nick cap on because he's got a sore heel. Well, what's most concerning about that is that Jonathan Gannon said postgame he is concerned about Brown's heel, which has been nagging him for the last couple weeks. He went an entire week without practicing and left the game in Pittsburgh early and then left the game early against the 49ers as well. That makes me wonder if when you've only got three games left in the season, if he's gone two straight games not being able to finish, is IR a possibility? Which we might find out if that's something that happens later in the week. If not, I would I would be surprised at this point if Brown even practices this week. When it comes to the lack of production from receivers, it's interesting to know where you put most of the blame there. It's great that you have a, a tight end like my bride who's able to kind of overcompensate for that, but you need to have receivers that are going to be game changers for you. To me, it comes down to you just don't have the personnel. You have the speed in Hollywood Brown, that's great. We're going to, you know, let's assume at least this week he might not be able to play. You've got the size of Michael Wilson, who made his return after missing the previous three games with a neck injury. He wasn't non-existent. He's he's one of their better blocking receivers. He played in the past, 65 snaps. Right. In the past game, though, zero catches. To me, that makes me wonder, was that more scheme? Because he's your only receiver of size. Zach Pascal's had opportunities, hasn't done anything with them. They Rondale se- Moore. They, they seem to use Rondale Moore in a game and then they don't really go to him again for the next couple of games because it seems like they're only using more on those long deep shots or out of the backfield and that's kind of it and then you've got Greg Dorch who will if Brown doesn't play will probably have a a bigger role this week to me you just don't have the personnel at wide receiver and I think that the start of the season it seems like you did and as the season goes along it's been pretty glaring that oh this at least for me this is creeping up to the top of my list in terms of dire needs in the offseason. Yeah, a month ago, if you asked me about, you know, go ahead and give your poly power poll of needs going into the offseason, I would have started with getting to the quarterback, an edge rusher, a three technique, D tackle. You got to be stout up front. I would have started with the defensive line. I would have thrown corner in there. If there's a sauce gardener type in the top five, absolutely pull the trigger, but there really isn't supposedly in this draft. And then after that, I probably would have gone O-line and receiver would have been fifth. But after these last few games, it does make you rethink things when you consider like the instant impact that Justin Jefferson had on the Vikings offense, the instant impact a Jamar Chase had in transforming the Bengals, what Stefan Diggs did for Joe Burrow, or uh, I'm sorry, Josh Allen, when he went to uh, Buffalo, and then Tyreek Hill going to Miami. When you think yeah. you get that guy, like those elite receivers, you add them to an offense, what can be possible yeah it does make it a little more intriguing Marvin Harrison Jr. for example don't disagree um, but it was interesting both two of your four examples uh, the impacts that they had the biggest impacts they had came long after they were drafted 
Not Stefan Diggs had an impact in Minnesota, but not like he did in Buffalo. And Tyreek Hill ended up turning into really good in Kansas City, but they didn't know. I mean, he was a third-round pick. He had off-field issues. Jamar Chase is a top-ten pick, but Justin Jefferson went 18, I think, something like that, 20. And you could be in a situation where you could still spend that first pick, whether it's three, four, five, whatever, on something that's not a wide receiver. And in this very, very deep class of very good wide receivers with that Texans pick at 18, 20, 22, whatever it's going to be, you could still get that guy. Now, whether he's ready to be that guy next year, I don't know. Yeah, a Rome, a Dunze out of Washington who gets a lot of pub and maybe you know doesn't get nearly the same sort of spotlight as Marvin Harrison Jr., but yeah, 6'3", runs a 4'3", 5", the Washington receiver. I mean, there again, from everything I've seen, as good as Harrison is, and he's the best out of this class, or will be when he announces, um, there are lots of really good receivers that you can get in the two, first two or three rounds. Yeah, first he might want to lose to Mizzou at the Cotton Bowl, to be determined. <laughs> you think he's going to play in that game? To be determined. Even if he doesn't play, he's part of the team, Darren. Team first. I, I have to say, as much as it, uh, I, I'm chagrined to say this. You're what? I I will say that Drew Locke won me over last night with his hey, post-game interview. M-I-Z. Sorry, that was, that Paul. Was the, 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 I missed it. The not I missed last it. I, I, I was too frustrated with the Seahawks winning. You know, it's just... Uh, but not last week. You know, Seahawks. there's certain things I enjoy in the NFL. I enjoy watching Sean Payton lose. I enjoy watching the uh, 12s lose. And so at the very end there, when the Seahawks pulled that out, I'm like, oh, okay, click. I don't need any Normally of the post, especially like that, in Seattle. I don't need any I gotta of the post game euphoria. I'm not a, I'm not a big Eagles dude. Never have been. Yeah, Eagles if, will be in the top five. I, I, watching. They're, they're starting to grate yeah. me the wrong Ooh. way. Especially if I, yeah. if I said that, I think my parents my dad not my parents my dad would disown me if what if you said what that, that you didn't it, like the eagles no the opposite oh i don't even want to say it on the podcast don't do it i know he listens he does by the way what how intriguing is that philadelphia road trip now with the eagles struggling el grande and having fired their well basically fired their defensive coordinator and put Matt Patricia in and all the turmoil I'm really excited to see how much Jonathan Gannon wants to talk about it that that week. Oh well, we won't get anything out of him. I'm no. curious, I'm curious just the temperature in Philly and I'm not talking about the sideline, I'm talking about Eagles fans who maybe didn't quite account for what they had when they lost Jonathan Gannon and have a newfound appreciation for their former defensive coordinator. That's why I'm intrigued to see how he's received. We know that when he was hired by the Cardinals, there was nothing nice said about him coming off that Super Bowl loss and using him as the scapegoat and everything they were saying. It seems like, though, online at least, some of those Philly fans are realizing what they have lost. So does it... But... When they when they're faced with JG, do they forget about realizing what they've lost and they go they resort back to the the stereotypical Philly anger? That's I, what I, I think will happen. I don't I don't want to chew up all our podcasts for next week though. Okay, well, Just saying, and look, we're going to be coming off a yeah. Christmas holiday, right. and we're going to have to jam in our podcast with all these coaches talking next That's Tuesday. Right. I just. Yeah, you know. that is true. Okay. All right. So let me get back to the wide receiver issue because you have three games to figure this out. And if, for example, I'm Rondell Moore. Same size. And, 
Yeah, I did get run into by Rondell Moore. Uh, you know, in it's this, still in, time to get cold, Darren. Jeez. In this season of thanks, I do give thanks that it was Rondell Moore who hit me full speed on the <laughs> sideline, right. and not Will Hernandez. Let me just say that I do give thanks to the football gods this season uh, that it could have been a lot worse. Um, but like, if I'm Rondell Moore right now, uh, I got three games to put some film out there because you know it's going to be an off season of change, and once again, no allegiances from the new decision makers. And what did we hear going into last season that Rondell Moore is a dynamic threat downfield? He's just not the line of scrimmage horizontal guy, but he's got a full route tree. So, I mean, they're looking, and now in the absence of Hollywood Brown, pending his availability, there is serious opportunity with three games to go for number four. And Hollywood Brown's in a contract year. There's just a lot of decisions that I think stem from what you want to do with Brown in the future. Because... I think you need to bring somebody else in. Maybe that is a Michael Wilson, if he can stay healthy, to really allow Brown to do what he does best and be more of that 1A, 1B type receiver rather than a true number one receiver. He does give you that route where he gives you the speed. He gives you those things you want in that type of receiver. I just think you need another true number one opposite of him unless you think with Michael Wilson being healthy, he could be that supplemental piece. Realistically, do you need three small, speedy receivers. Now, Moore has a little bit of a different skill set being able to come out of the backfield the way that he does. Greg Dortch has been your receiver and has been playing well when his number has been called this season. So if you want Dortch to be your special teams or special teams guy, do you need Dortch and Moore if you're not really getting a lot out of Moore right now? To me, but, but again, if you decide not to sign Brown, you keep more, maybe, for the speed and those long balls. There, I, I just think there's a lot of decisions that have to be made. I really think they all come down to what you want to do with Hollywood Brown. I thought this was interesting. and, and it, I was watching for the interception thrown to Ward when he was going to McBride, but watching that entire fourth down play. Um, and, you know, we, we've the, you made me think of it when you brought up Greg Dorch, who I, I think has really performed well when he's gotten the opportunities. But we've heard from two different coaching staffs about inconsistencies, right? And then I watched that play. It was fourth and three. Um, I believe it was Hollywood. I believe it was Hollywood and Dorch ran crossers near the line to gain. And then Trey McBride was beyond that, right? But when Dorch ran his crosser, he was like a yard and a half inside the line to gain. Like Mm. he wasn't. And it reminds me of Houston where he wasn't. And I'm like, I looked at that and I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, but like when I hear coaches saying you need to be more consistent, is that one of those things? Like, man, we needed, we're going to need three yards and you go out and you're running one and a half yards downfield, two yards downfield. Like that's the kind of stuff that you just can't do. And I I wonder sometimes if if when they talk about consistency, if that's the kind of stuff they're talking about. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, Look, uh, to me, you know, I, I, I just respect the style and intensity that Greg Dorch plays with. Agree. You know, when you exist on the edge of the roster your entire career, you play with that edge. And he has that in games, which I just enjoy watching. And his ability to make guys miss, just ridiculous. When you get him the ball, you know, he, that punt returner in him comes out. He's making guys miss and he's dodging and all the head fakes and everything. I. You know, you get back to a Hollywood Brown. It was interesting to hear him tell the media last week in front of his locker that he's at peace with his season, even though the numbers aren't there, the production isn't there. He knows that he's been winning on film. 
Now, a lot of it had to do with pre-Kyler and three, four, maybe even five deep shots that easily could have been a touchdowns and they didn't connect and balls were overthrown or thrown out of bounds. And But on film, so to get back to your point, Danny, in the offseason, what do you do if you're an NFL team and Marquise Hollywood-Brown is a free agent? The numbers aren't there. What sort of numbers is he going to want in the paycheck department, contract department, but is his value suppressed by the fact he didn't have those numbers and stats? But if you're an astute GM, you watch the film. You watch every game this year. He's winning on film. He he was winning on film. And I think that's part of the reason why his stats don't reflect the type of season he's had is not to put the blame on one person. The connection with Josh Dobbs was not there and the throws were not accurate enough or didn't have enough power to reach him. That's why I'm saying I, I, I'm under I would like to see Hollywood Brown come back I would think it would make more sense at this point of maybe you do a one-year prove-it deal just because he was dealing with an injury last year as well and this heel that's been nagging him and again the changing of quarterbacks this year maybe they come to an agreement of maybe this is where Brown wants to be and wants to be with Kyler and and where this organization is heading and Maybe it ends up working out nicely for both parties of you have like a, a prove it deal and you go from there. I, I've talked to Hollywood before and he does really like this coaching staff. And I do think I do think if he was given the choice, he would prefer to stay here. I, I don't know what's going to happen with this contract situation. I do know if you start talking about prove it deals, usually if you're a guy doing a prove it deal, you want to be in a position where you know you're going to be able to put up, put up big numbers. You've got Trey McBride here now, and the reality is is they're probably going to go draft a receiver high. So are you going to get those kinds of opportunities to prove it, quote-unquote, um, and, and get another big contract? I don't, I don't know. I mean, these are, these are the questions that every player has to ask himself. I'm also curious to know with Michael Wilson not having a catch. I believe he had maybe three targets. It was three. Three for him and so four for Pascal. Is that is that – how the game was unfolding is that the game plan because with his size you should be able to throw the ball his way and he should be able to win those battles that's the question I have is why are you not not forcing it why are you not finding Wilson and making sure that he's the way you're going if he's open enough for a contested throw especially the game he had against the 49ers in week exactly, four two touchdowns but he was you know hadn't played in what a month so was there a rust factor first at work? game with Kyler too right Second game. Second game Second. with Kyler. Second game with I Kyler. I think he was so. able to play. He missed three and then came back for one, right? Or missed one and then came back and then missed three, whatever it was. You know, there's all these ridiculous Brock Purdy stats. Here was one that on throws outside the numbers, he's 11-17 this year for 168, three touchdowns. This is outside the numbers and you know that's missing right now from the Cardinals pass game you know most of the production seems to be coming in between the numbers which is hilarious because if you remember the last couple years everybody was complaining about how all the Cardinals did was throw outside the numbers and there was nothing down the middle and so you finished my thought and and but but, no no that's good I mean we got a two-man game going here it's good this you know we're, we're in sync here but wouldn't Michael Wilson be that guy because when you're throwing outside the numbers and you're throwing to five foot eight Rondell Moore, Greg Dorch, you know what Hollywood Brown, even uh, you know, the odds just are significantly reduced as opposed to you're throwing to six foot two Michael Wilson towards the numbers. He's that guy who can reel in that catch, and you have more of a target area that you can throw to if you're Kyler Murray. So I, I just to finish that thought on Michael Wilson, you know, more targets outside, please, 
because he seems to do a real good job with his size of getting between the DB and the football. Again, I would have to see what the receivers are doing and what options they had and and did Kyler have opportunities. I, I do know this. I don't think not throwing to the wide receivers is why they lost to the 49ers. They did score 29 points. And as Jonathan Gannon made the point, like in game, when you're moving the ball like they're moving, you're thinking we got to score in the red zone and not turn it over. You're not thinking, oh, man, the receivers don't have any catches. And I'll be honest, I I didn't think much about it either until late in the game because why would you? And again, when you have a receiver, not a wide, true wide wide receiver, but a receiver like McBride who's able to be reliable and, and reel those catches in, I would understand why that's not top of your mind. I mean, you know, the outcome of the game, you just can't make that many mistakes against the 49ers and have a realistic shot at winning. You can't throw the pick six. You can't leave two receivers wide open, you know, in assignment or alignment errors or whatever it was that left Christian McCaffrey wide open on a 41-yard grab where he falls down and gets up. And They were lucky they didn't lose any of those five fumbles. So, you know, yeah, nothing bounced your way. Um, So the way things played out, if they would have got one of those breaks, maybe – there's something different, or at least it's a much closer margin. But you got to figure out the 49ers. They've won 12 straight games in the division. Brock Purdy isn't going away. He's 8-0 in the division in his career now against the NFC West with 19 touchdown passes and two picks. He's a problem for the division. So you got to figure this out. Because like we talked about last week, I'm not sweating the rest of the NFC playoff picture. A bunch of teams that are around 500. <laughs> I mean, Cardinals can get there next year and play, be a playoff contender. I think the big question for me is going into next season as they add more talent to this roster is just, okay, how do you compete against your division, in particular the Niners and Rams? It's interesting. Look, I haven't been covering an NFC West team nearly as long as the two of you. It seems like every other team has really found a stretch of success. Seattle has had a stretch of success. The Rams, maybe not as long, but had a little bit of – you know, they, they were powerful. Now it seems like the 49ers. It's just the 49ers are the standard you are trying to reach. But this division as a whole, it seems like the Cardinals need to consistently not just stringing games together in a season, but start stringing seasons together of truly being competitive. If you're looking for a bright spot, Arizona was competitive for the first half. Just the further the game went on, the further San Francisco ran away with it. I think a lot of that was their own errors talking about penalties or uh, you know the interception the pick six and then you move on to the defense you were talking about Paul the Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey wide open touchdowns but I like that this team was competitive I like the decisions the decision to go for it on fourth and three obviously not the decision that it ended in a pick six but knowing you're going up against this potent offense and you're going to have to put points on the board and you're going to have to do your part so I I'm Overall, I'm okay, right? Like, I think there were some good spots you saw from this offense and the defense, and then it just kind of, I think to a certain extent, the 49ers are also just that good. Because because really, besides Christian McCaffrey, who was their leading rusher and receiver, none of the other offensive players really killed you. It was explosive plays. It was a 35-yarder to George Kittle. It was a 22-yarder to... Debo, Brandon Ayuk, right? Christian McCaffrey had a 19-yard run. So it was really just Christian McCaffrey who was the main guy who really just kind of messed well, you up. They had like 20 less plays than the Cardinals. Hmm. 
I mean, they were their scoring drives went by in a flash. But see, that's the difference right now in the two offenses. The Niners have that big play capability, the big strike, the four-play, seventy-yard touchdown drive. They they have that. The Cardinals don't. When and the Cardinals get into the end zone, it's usually 10, 12, 15 plays. They don't have that big strike, big play. And getting stalled in, in the red zone. That was something that Kyler talked about post game. Both teams had six scoring drives. It's just that the Cardinals struggled to find the end zone consistently. It was having to get a lot of field goals. It was funny because when they went on the pick six, which of course was a fourth and three, um, I had a lot of people complaining that they were even going for it. And I'm like, yeah. You've got to you've got to score touchdowns. You can't be punting the ball away to this team. You're going to give up points. I had no problem with them going for it there. Obviously, you want to see them execute it, but I had no problem with them going making the choice to go for it there. And the the funny thing was, I actually had somebody bring up kicking field goals in the red zone and, and instead of going trying to get touchdowns late in the game. And before I could say anything, somebody else chimed in on Twitter and said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like three weeks ago, everybody was complaining that Jonathan Gannon was going for it too much and not kicking the field goals. Now he's kicking the field goals and now you're doing it wrong. I mean, again, you can't win. By the way, the uh, stat on Matt Prater right now after that 58-yard surface-to-air missile in his last 18 games, he's now 13 of 15 from 50-plus. Think about that. Right? It, it's almost like I feel a little jaded when I see Prater going out there in the special teams unit going out there for a 58-yard field goal, and it's not like, oh, let me let me perk up a little bit and, and see if he's able to pull this off. I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah, let, let's see, which I know is not great. You should not get used to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of teams don't have that luxury. It's just what Prater has been able to do so consistently here in Arizona and throughout his career. Okay, here's, here's the, the non-bet bet. Okay. I'm not allowed to bet, Darren. Does not even a whole paycheck? No. Um, does Matt Prater kick a field goal of at least 53 yards in either of the next two games? Yes. Ooh, with weather? Yes. I think they're going to let him try it. He's going to want to. <laughs> I say yes. Okay. And here's the thing about him. He's been in the league long enough. He knows all the wind patterns in all the stadiums. It's it's ridiculous. I believe that. It's like, uh, okay, here we're going to the meteorologist update desk with Matt Prater, and he'll tell you exactly about the wind shear and where it's coming out of each end zone and which flags he's looking at. You know, like in Cleveland, he looks at what he calls the Phil Dawson flag. Phil Dawson put a flag up in one corner of the end zone. He doesn't look at the top of the goal post, so he excellent. looks at the top coming off. In, in he, great. And, and so that's what he'll look at. He has that sort of innate knowledge now after two decades in the league. Prater honestly has made a great case for himself to go to the Pro Bowl. Oh, heck yeah. There, there are a couple players, but I think he and, and Trey McBride probably arguably the, the most likely to go from the Cardinals, which if you can agree, you can go vote on azcardinals.com, or I think social media voting is still open if you use the hashtag Pro Bowl vote with their name. Just go to the Cardinals Twitter I, and retweet. I think the problem with McBride at this point is going to be he's probably going to have to get in as an alternate. I don't see him being above Kittle or Hawkinson or Laporta, who's had a great year with Detroit. I don't know the, what all the kicker situations are in the NFC especially. That Dallas kicker gets a lot of Brandon run. Aubrey. Yeah, you mean because he hasn't missed a field goal in like 28 tries? I mean, he's good. Yeah. He's good. I don't know how his, his numbers – rookie season. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how his numbers uh, <laughs> compare, but he, he had that primetime game where he hit a couple of 50-plus yarders, right? So he got a lot of attention with that. So, uh, but I still love the B.J. Ojolari on Big Red Rage last month, and Wolf asked him, who's the baddest dude in that locker room? And Ojolari immediately answered, 
Matt Prater. <laughs> just he's got that look of an assassin. He's just just this cold look all the time, do you locked ever, in. Do you ever wonder, because we know the, how the locker room is laid out and the outside linebackers are on that side where the kicker is and everything. Like, Do you ever wonder, like, in those kinds of circumstances, like, B. Joe Ojolari is much more likely to say Matt Prater because they're in that like they're in the same neighborhood but like if you Maybe. were if you ask somebody on the other side it would you know what I'm saying that's a like, good experiment you might have to ask that question every big red rage well it's also 21 year old BJ Ojolari looking at nearly 40 year old Matt Prater so I don't know if that has something to do with it like what are you, you trying know, to say 40 is I mean know, is that term some kind of implication there Paul don't look at me I'm you know what I can't relate to 40 it's like, at this it's point. Like yeah, me neither it's like look I, it's like if, if someone were to ask me I would say the two of you right the age difference sitting here by the two of you. <laughs> it's like Danny go. and BJ, Matt here Prater, the two of you. That's a compliment, Darren. Don't yeah. look at me that way. Sounds like a good time to bring up again that Danny will be on the sideline and there's <laughs> rain in the forecast and it's expected to be cold. Not unlike the last time the Cardinals played in Chicago in 2021. That's where also true. We got rained on the entire game down there. I, so. so I didn't travel to that game and I remember when you came back and showed me your notebook. I just felt so bad for you, Paul. Not fun, no. But uh, you know what I remember the most in that game, though, was the one-handed grab by James Conner. The yeah, one-handed that grab. Was pretty awesome. And the coaching staff trailing him all the way down the sideline, sprinting after him, just uh, euphoric that he made that sort of ridiculous catch. There was also the fourth down touchdown pass where Kyler just threw it up at the pylon for D Hop. He, he made it early in the game. Catch. Yeah, that was just. Where, they, where everybody's like, why are you going for this? Right. Kick the field goal. Right. The audacity of the play call and then the play choice, right? shun the field goal, go for the end zone, and then you're going to call that play? And they converted it? So we'll see what the uh, what the Bears are all about here. Are you nervous at all, Paul? I mean, I know you've done this before in the regular season, but are, do, do, are you nervous at all? And if not, can we get you there? There's uh, always serious trepidation when I fill in for Dave Pash. Pash calls more games in a week than I do all year, okay? He's a top five play-by-play man on the planet. So all the haters on Twitter, go easy, okay? I'm certainly no Pauly Pash. He makes it look and sound really easy. I'm here to prove it isn't. Capiche? <laughs> Capiche. So we'll see. I got to, uh, yeah, I got a lot of work ahead of me here before, uh, to travel, before Sunday night. Not home home, but travel to a familiar place. Yeah, I already got some places picked out. Uh, you know, we'll see if I can drag Wolf's Keister over <laughs> to Twin Anchors for some ribs. We're going to do that. It's been there since the 30s. It's a rib joint uh, over in the Old Town area, and so I uh, might do that. We'll see. I don't know, maybe, maybe some deep dish. Uh, you, you know, you could do deep dish for breakfast on Sunday before the game. It's a late kick. I, I can have, like, one slice of deep dish, and that's good for the year for me. <laughs> good for the year. <laughs> so maybe this is – I've really slow digestion. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's not know. my favorite. So, no, so it's fair. too much for me. Okay. All right. So, uh, Danny, you, you good? Forget about me being nervous. Uh, Danny, you You, you know what? I've got my coat, right? Paul. Okay, I'm going right. to be fine. I'm going to try and dress warmly. Full I need Danny's to, jacket. I need to get – I know they make hand warmers. I need to get, like, foot warmers. That's what I'm most worried about. Why don't you my just toes buy going, hand... My toes go numb so fast. Is that a thing? Is that, like, a legit – I don't know. Can't you just get the hand warmers and stick them in your shoes? No, I think they make some that are for your uh, shoes. I don't know that that's safe to be walking around on hand warmers. Probably not, but I wouldn't do it. I'm going to be in the press box, so I yeah, won't have to worry about fine. it. you're fine. So I'll leave you with these parting words. Somebody tweeted at me. It was earlier this year. I forget what the game was. I was probably whining about the weather. And he said, hey, Calvisi, for the December games coming up, my German coworkers have a saying. There's no bad weather. There's just bad clothes. Oh, I like that. Okay. 
And that'll do it for this edition of we'll, Cardinals Underground. We'll get you that picture of Danny's jacket. Merry That's right. Christmas. Happy That's holidays, right. everyone. It'll have its own seat on Redbird One.